And now this from the Gospel of John, chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after hearing that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. This is the word of God for the people of God. As we've been doing, reading through the Gospel of John, we run into any number of contrasts. We have the revelations that are being made versus the blindness of many. We have these symbolic spiritual messages in these stories versus the literal meaning or understanding of some who are hearing. We have throughout the Gospel of John a contrast between light and dark. And today we have life versus death. Life versus death. We start this story in this very first verse of chapter 11. John writes, now a certain man was ill. Now, a certain man was ill. Usually stories of death start a little different than that. It's life, then death, but this man is ill, and then he's going to die, but then we get back to life. But illness is a part of all of our lives. This is a universal story because we are all going to die, or maybe even worse, those we love are going to die. Most of us have had experience with illness and death. It's part of the human condition. Dr. Tankersley prayed about that just moments ago of how we deal with this. Death is always sort of hanging there in the background at best. And for some of us who have just lost someone, who have someone seriously ill, or maybe we have marked the anniversary of the death of one we held dear it begins to take center stage sometimes. I find that the older I get, death sort of finds its way into my thoughts ever more often. It can be a little disturbing. 
even though we know it's coming, it still can be a little disturbing when it strikes close to home, either for us or for someone we love. So John takes this on this morning in this story. He tells us this story that I would suggest is a foreshadowing of death in the hands of God as well as what's going to happen to Jesus. He tells us Lazarus, Mary and Martha living together, close family, apparently also very close to Jesus, and Lazarus falls ill. Jesus is somewhere away. They know he can help. They send for him, but he delays his coming, and Lazarus dies. Many talk about this as a story of resurrection of Lazarus. I would suggest to you that's not exactly right. It is a story of resuscitation that foreshadows the resurrection of Jesus. I suggest that because it's not a resurrection where Lazarus is going to live forever. He's going to die again. Also, it's a little different than the resurrection stories of Jesus because if you have read through those, you know that when Jesus has been resurrection, the disciples, for the most part, the men and women who are very closest to him, see him, they don't recognize him. In most of those stories, they don't know it's the risen Christ at first because they do not recognize him, suggesting that we will have new life, but perhaps in a different form than we have at this point. So there are some differences between resuscitation and this story of Lazarus and resurrection of Christ or resurrection in our lives so this is more than a story just telling us about resurrection there's something else going on here there's something bigger i would suggest that john is trying to tell us that god is trying to reveal to us jesus says that the something more is the glory of god the something more in this story is the glory of god if you look at verse four if you still have your bible open jesus hears that Lazarus is ill, but when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. The idea of glory in the Bible has to do with presence, power, and revelation of the divine. Presence, power, and the revelation of the divine. Whenever the Bible's talking about glory, it's talking about the manifestation of God or the revelation of God shining through. In this particular story, what's going to shine through is that God has power over death. That somehow God's love brings new life even out of death. John makes it pretty clear that love is an important part of this. As he begins to tell us this story in verse 3, he tells us that the sister sent a message to Jesus, not just that their brother was ill, but it says, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Seems to be an important part of it. And then it's repeated by John in verse 5. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha, loved her sister and Lazarus, John wants us to know that this relationship is one of love. That Jesus really cared about these people. That he loved them. If we read through the Gospels, we know that this is not the only time Jesus is in their home or in their town or spends time with them or interacts with them. 
Jesus really loves them. And yet, he delays coming and the brother dies. So it is not his lack of love that allows Lazarus to die. And as I was reading through that, I began to think about how many times I have sat with a family grieving the death of someone they've lost, and they are mad at God. They are hurting and grieving, and they feel like somehow this should not have happened, and it's unjust, they've experienced a tragedy, and all that is true. But then sometimes they make the wrong turn, I would suggest, and assume because they're experiencing the pain that God does not love them or does not care for them. But John wants us to know that's not it. Jesus loves them, and yet he tarries where he is, and the brother dies, Lazarus dies. But it's not because he doesn't love them. The inside is that we can't always understand the way God is at work or the way God loves us. The wisdom is that God is at work even though we cannot always understand or perceive it. Just because we don't always understand why things unfolded the way they did, even though we feel the pain of the loss or the tragedy, does not mean that God is not at work and God does not love us. They make a request Jesus doesn't fulfill it in the way they thought was right. So often we think if God doesn't respond just the way we think, that somehow there's no love. The Gospel of John suggests that would be a wrong turn to take. John tells us in this story, and really throughout the Gospel, that he is sharing all of these stories about the life and death of Jesus so that we might come to believe John wants us to believe that God is at work in our lives and in our world. He wants us to believe that, that he's at work through Jesus. John wants us to believe that God is at work in this Jesus of Nazareth. Think Messiah at that point. He wants us to believe that God's love is at work through Jesus in such a way that finally it's the most powerful force in all the world think revelation in the son of god john even believes and wants us to believe that this love of god that's at work through jesus is his own love and even transcends death think resurrection john wants us to believe he's not just telling us a travel log he's telling us these stories to reveal the glory of god so that we might understand the presence and the power and God alive in our lives. Let's look at the text again. The death has happened. Jesus has tarried. He's talked with the disciples about this. And then finally, he gets close to their home. Martha, it says, couldn't wait at the house. As soon as she heard that he was coming, she runs out to see him. And in verse 21, John records that Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We have had that experience when we've experienced death. If God had only done something, been more present, we wouldn't have experienced the pain. That's the kind of place she is in. But she goes on to say, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. 
Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, oh, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, and this is where the story turns to the glory of God, I am. Remember that name of God we talked about before? I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's the question this story is posing for all of us. God is at work here. Do you believe this? God is doing something bigger than saving one person. Do you believe this? Can you see what God is doing, how God is at work here? The death is not the final word. If you begin to believe that somehow God's love transcends death, and then it changes our perspective of how we deal with death. I mean, death is real, but there's more to life than just death. For those of us who are Christian, for those who say we're followers of the Christ, we're affirming that God's love transcends even, even death. I was reading a book this week that was talking about a fellow named Stephen Levine. He's a chaplain, works with hospice patients. That is, people that usually only have about six months or less to live. Levine reflects that in his work as a hospice chaplain, he often observes that one, someone's been given that terminal diagnosis that they have a sense of freedom, that their priorities change, their perspective on life changes. They begin to act in different ways. They, they seem to have a new lease on life and often overcome some of the crippling beliefs and decisions they had made. He said often they live transformed lives. He observed it so often in his work as a chaplain, he began to wonder how could I get a hold of that kind of transformation? And so he did a curious thing. He decided he was going to begin, begin to live his life as if he were going to die in one year. He looked at his calendar and set a date one year out and told everybody around him, I'm going to begin to live as if this is it. These are my last 365 days. He wrote a book about what happened to him and that experience where he was seeking a taste of that kind of transformation in terms of how he lived. John says the transformation comes through Jesus, the resurrection and the life, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world for us. John says that's the transformation. That's the story here about one who was ill and then dead. And then comes to life again. You have to read further in John to see how Jesus brings Lazarus back. But we read far enough to understand this spiritual lesson of life and death and God's love and what death looks like in God's hands. It looks like a resurrection beyond death, life beyond death. Jesus tells Martha that very thing. And then says, do you believe? 
Martha, do you believe this? And in verse 27, she says to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, and the one coming into the world. You know what the anniversary was that came and went this week rather quietly? Friday, April 4th. Mark the death of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I didn't see all the newscasts, but I didn't hear a single thing about it on the radio or in the news. There probably were some stories I missed. But I'll remind you, Dr. King was in Memphis, Tennessee in April 1968. He had gone there to support the city garbage workers who were striking. On that night, he spoke at a rally and talked about the civil rights movement and its place in history. And he even went on to reflect about his own life and his own belief and his own discipleship and how he understood that God was at work in his life and how he was just glad to be a part of it, glad to be any part of it. The way the story is told is that he and his cadre leadership of this movement had come to Memphis, but that particular night, Dr. King was feeling quite ill. He asked some of his lieutenants, so to speak, to lead the rally that was to happen. He stayed at the hotel in bed. But the crowd swelled, and it was standing room only, and they kept calling for Dr. King. He wasn't sitting on the stage. They thought he was backstage. He wasn't even there. Finally, they went and got him and said, they're not going home until you come. So he got out of bed, got dressed, and went over to the church where they were holding the rally. And then he got up. He wasn't planning to speak, but he got up and delivered the sermon extemporaneously, talking about how he thought God had been working in the world and throughout history and through the civil rights movement and through his life. And he echoes the same good news that John talks about, that God's love and power transcend anything that we experience here, even death. By this time in his life, I'll remind you, his house had been bombed, but he had survived. He had been stabbed in New York, almost died, but he survived. He was living under nearly constant death threats by this moment. I want to read to you just the last few sentences of what he said that night. They are this. After all the other reflections, he says, Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind, like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. Oh, I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight, and the crowd said, yes, yes, that we as a people will get to the promised land, and applause breaks out, and they say, go ahead, go ahead. And he says, I'm so happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. 
And the crowd breaks, breaks into applause and ends the sermon. Have your eyes seen the glory of the coming of the Lord? Have you seen Jesus coming as the resurrection and the life? Do you believe? That's the question of Lent. Do you believe? Amen.